Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. very warm welcome from me, your host, Agnes Uherecki, on this new episode of the Work Life Podcast. If this is the first time that you're tuning in, let me just explain a little bit what we're about. We founded the Work Life Hub in 2014 with the aim to become a knowledge hub on everything related to work-life balance in its broadest sense. So we talk to HR managers, CEOs, um, researchers, authors, activists, policy makers, who all cover a different piece of this work-life balance puzzle. We speak about leaves, paternity, maternity leaves, company initiatives, culture change, leadership, uh, women's issues, uh, millennials, and all kinds of issues related. If you would like to hear more of these episodes, you can go on our website, www.worklifehub.com, under podcasts. We also have a regular blog feature, and I would uh, recommend that you sign up to our newsletter, which is a weekly one, where we always write about the latest podcast and inform you about our latest blog. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to get in touch with us on any of our social media channels or on our website or email info at worklifehub.com. Thanks a lot and let's listen to this episode. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. Um, this is your host, Agnes. And today I'm joined by Gloria Feltz. Hello, Gloria. Hello, Agnes. Nice to be with you. It's such an absolute honor for me to be speaking to Gloria. She's New York Times bestselling author, a speaker, commentator, and a feminist leader and an activist. Um, she's a women's rights advocate. And in 2013, she co-founded Take the Lead, a not-profit uh, initiative to propel women to leadership and to achieve parity by 2025. We'll speak about this in a, in a little bit. She's also the former CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America. And her latest best-selling book is No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. And she, in addition, she also teaches women power and leadership at Arizona State University. I could, of course, go on about Gloria's CV and credentials, but that would basically take up the whole podcast. So I just want to ask you maybe as a first question, Gloria, if you could Take listeners through your journey of, of how you became this powerful voice for women. Thank you, Agnes. And I, I, that's a story that could also take up the entire podcast. So I'll try, to, <laughs> I'll try to tighten it up so that we have time to talk about the many other interesting things that I know we want to talk about today. Um, I, I, uh, I was a teen mom, actually. I grew up in West Texas in small towns. And I, it, it was an era and a place where women weren't given uh, much aspiration for their careers. And if you went to college, it was to get your MRS. And so I, you know, I believed what the culture told me. I, I married my high school sweetheart. We had three children by the time I was 20. And then I woke up. I don't know exactly why. I think part of it was the birth control pill came out at that time. And I, I realized I could actually be more 
thoughtful and planful about my life and that I could be a mom and I could do many other things as well. And I now had the wherewithal to, to make those choices. Uh, but, but I think it was also maturity. And, and my son, David, who was my third child, calls himself mom's light bulb because I often say a light bulb went off in my head at that time. <laughs> and, 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 and I think many women experience those light bulbs along the way. Um, I started to college at that time and I got involved in community service activities, mostly civil rights related. And, and then I had another aha, which was, well, if there are civil rights, then women must have them too. I fully anticipated being a teacher. That was what I was one of those, one of the three jobs that was open to women at the time. You could teach, you could be a nurse, uh, didn't like the sight of blood and, or, or you could uh, be a secretary and I never could learn to type very well. So that was out. <laughs> so I so I became a teacher and I taught at Head Start, which is a program for, um, children whose families are below the poverty level to try to get them to, uh, to have more academic success and more success in life. And I loved teaching. I've always loved teaching. And it's kind of ironic that I'm full circle back to doing mostly teaching right now, which I will get to in a moment. But fate intervened and I was offered a position as um, executive director of a small, fairly new Planned Parenthood affiliate in West Texas where I was living at the time. And um, it sounded kind of interesting, so I thought I'd do it for a few years and go back to teaching. And instead, that led me to about, uh, about to a 30-year-plus, 30-year um, career with Planned Parenthood, in which I ended as the national president, a um, uh, position that I served in for nine years during probably one of the most turbulent times in the, in the movement. So, so it was great, and but at that point, I I was ready to um, to have a what I thought was going to be a calmer life, and I wanted to write books, and and as you mentioned, I I have authored several, and the last one that I wrote, No Excuses: Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, led me into a very deep study of why, given that we had opened doors and changed laws for women. Uh, we women were still stuck at under 20% of the top leadership positions across every single sector of the economy, of government, even in the top nonprofits, women were, were, were not getting those top positions. And you know the pay gap. I mean, everybody always knows the pay gap is, is, is a little over 20%. So I, I, I was like, what? I've been an activist for women for for so many years, and we've opened doors, we've changed laws. Why are women still where we were 20 years ago in terms of the top leadership positions? And in the process of writing that and doing the research, writing it, and then I think the academic teaching actually helped me to figure some of it out as well, I came to the conclusion that it really had a lot to do with women's relationship with power. And it's not just about leaning in or not. It's really about about um, uh, knowing the power that we have in our hands to create the life that we want and the, and the career that we want. And so, um, that ultimately led me because I'm essentially, I mean, I know how to create organizations and movements and I, I know that you can change any system that you want to in the world. And at that point I was only one person doing this teaching and I realized if I wanted to really make an impact, I would need to, to have more than myself doing it. And that's what led to co-founding Take the Lead, which, as you said, is a, is a nonprofit. And our mission is no less than leadership parity across every sector by 2025, 
which is 63 years faster than we're going in the U.S. And as the World Economic Forum has predicted, uh, that's uh, that the, the global parity will not be reached until until 2095. So we have a lot of work to do, but I think this is a moment. This is a strategic inflection moment, as it's been called, and I think this is when we can make tremendous strides toward gender parity and leadership. And um, so that's why I'm committed to to take the lead. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And, and I absolutely share your sense of urgency and impatience. And it's I can only describe this as a marathon, that there are so many at the start and at the finish of the marathon, there are so few. And, and we see this gender pyramid just simply everywhere. And we have all the research. We have all the data to back it up, that it works. It makes business sense. It makes societal sense. It makes early childhood sense. And yet we're not getting there. But to underline some of your what you just said, um, and to also maybe go, go a bit further in, in our thinking about um, this moment, which you said, this strategic moment. So just now on the World Economic Forum, uh, there were some very powerful statements there. For example, Sheryl Sandberg, she said, men still run the world and I'm not sure it's going so well. Um, Justin Trudeau, uh, Canada's prime minister, he said, we shouldn't be afraid of the word feminist. Men and women should use it to describe themselves. And also the CEO of Coca-Cola, Muhtara Kent, said, we need the three W's, women, water, and well-being. Um, I was also at the OECD um, forum on the future of work and the panel uh, was all male men 50 plus white men and it was a, a great moment because there was a twitter wall and more and more tweets came in to say the panel needs to address gender issues they need to address women's issues and it was such an uncomfortable moment when the only woman on stage the commentator she asked these men about so let's okay, address the elephant in a room, what about women? And all they could say was, yeah, well, household duties of women are holding them back. It was infuriating. So how could we, uh, Gloria, harness this this moment, this, this tension that there is when, when we think, okay, let's do this now? I, 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 that was just an amazing, amazing moment. And, and I, I was not in Davos, but I did hear and read about it. And I'm so glad that you brought it up because... I believe, and when I in, in my book No Excuses, I, I created nine leadership power tools, and each of these power tools is something that I learned on the front lines, on the job, and uh, in 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 as I was becoming a leader, and 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 as I had to face certain leadership challenges. And I will say that the power tool that applies here is power tool number four, which is embrace controversy, because mm-hmm. that was a perfect moment. I mean, that that was priceless. I mean, to have that opportunity of the controversy that that panel created was absolutely priceless. It elevated the discussion and it gave us a moment, again, when we can take that conversation further. If I would, you know, what I should be doing right now as someone who does training for companies, um, I, mm-hmm. I should actually be looking up every man who was on that panel and placing a phone call to him and saying, look, you know, if you want to restore the reputation of your company, you better let Take the Lead come and 
do some training for your folks. We can fix this. We can help you. Because it, th- that's what you have to do. You have to take those moments and make them work for you. Use the energy of them to propel yourself forward. This is, I think, um, you touch up on a very sensitive issue, which is um, also what you speak about quite frequently is this issue of culture, that it's still not in our culture to step up to these opportunities and say, hey, is this what you think? Do you, would you agree? Yes, yes, it is. It is actually there. There are two parts of the equation, and 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 one part is there. Obviously, it's obviously important to change laws. It's important to make sure that there are policies in place that 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 make it possible for women to move into leadership. But there's also the part of the 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 ingrained culture. Both men and women still have in our minds an archetype of leader, which is male. Mm. And we have to change. You know, there was a, there was a saying during the, uh, the the second wave feminist movement. It's hard to ch- it's hard to change a culture. Who, who it's let me see let me see if I can get this right. It's hard to change a culture when the enemy is in your head. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and it, and this is exactly right. And so this is this is why I, I'm not saying this to blame women for not moving forward or raising their hand. I am saying this to inspire women to understand. We have tremendous power right now. We have the power to make the change. As you mentioned earlier, we have the business case now. Well, I mean, when the right thing to do meets the profitable thing to do, what better moment is that? Absolutely. So it's up, but it's up to us as women to propel ourselves forward right now. You can't expect somebody else to step aside for you. You have to be willing to raise your hand, to have the vision of yourself as a leader and to move yourself forward. Um, this is wonderful, uh, wonderful stuff there. And it just takes us also to to the next issue that I wanted to touch upon in our conversation, which is about the women um, assuming that they're going to be big sacrifices or trade-offs if they're going to take that next step, if they're going to take that next promotion oh my gosh, then I would have to travel more, I would have to work more. So there is still this um, ingrained caring role, this nurturing role that that is pulling us back to say, well, then you're not going to be a good mother, you're not going to be a good spouse, you're not going to be a good carer. So there is our internal um, contradiction there of wanting to be everything and, and this whole conversation around, so can women have it all? or they can't have it all. What is your, what is your well, thought on this? <laughs> I, Agnes, I, I actually think the question of having it all or the whole idea is one of the silliest phrases ever <laughs> in the English language because no one has it all. Everybody has to make choices and trade-offs every single day of our lives. No one asks men that question. And I know, I mean, particularly for younger men now, I see them all the time. Those younger men want to be a part of their children's growing up absolutely, in a way that older generations of men didn't really uh, care. Either they didn't care about or they were so culturally attuned not to care about that they wouldn't open their mouths about it. I mean, my father... My father was was a was a very cool guy, and he used to coochie coo the babies, and he was a lot of fun. But he never changed a diaper. Mm-hmm. My son, on the other hand, was involved with the raising of his children from the moment of birth. Yeah, 
And, 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 and he, you know, he has chosen, he has chosen to take positions at certain times in his life that will allow him to go to the soccer game or, or, or be available uh, on a weekend to take care of the kids so his wife can go do something she needs to do. I mean, I really think the men are changing uh, because of what the women have done to change the culture, frankly, uh, in a way that's very profound. But, but beyond that, back to your question, nobody has it all. Everybody has it some. Everybody, every day is a, is a series of choices. And here's the little secret no one ever seems to tell women, which is that the higher up you are on the leadership chart, the more control you have over how you order your life. Mm. First, you have more money. And secondly, you have more flexibility in terms of how you can, you, you just have more leverage in terms of how you can make those choices. Now, having said that, I also want to say that I think there needs to be a very big change in how our workplaces are organized. Absolutely. Remember that our, our workplaces were designed by men for men who had women at home taking care of the kids in the house, right? Yeah. That's, that's not functional anymore. I mean, the hierarchy that we used to have is not functional anymore. And there ought to be ways for people to take time out uh, to, and then come back to stay engaged in some way or to, and to be able to, you know, you, everybody, male and female, should be able to know that if they need to do caregiving, whether it's for an elderly parent or a new child or maybe their own health issues, that they can, they can find a way to take an off-ramp and then have a way to figure out how to have an on-ramp again when they're able to do that. Mm, absolutely. And also, I think um, probably from your role, your previous role and also the work you're doing now, you also have this helicopter view. You have this systemic view on what needs to change, um, not only um, how to empower women on an individual level, how to change workplaces, but also how to um, change policies, how to change the environment. And at the, this uh, OECD event, the um, current um, the current Secretary of Labor, Thomas Perez, he said something that really struck me. He said, the times when your 30 years of career ends with a pen, a party and a pendant are over. So there needs to be some yes. really big systemic <laughs> changes in, in, in how we work. Uh, and, and I think women probably bring a lot more this, uh, this uh, detoured way of working into the system. You know, it's no longer this male uh, career norms of, okay, I go from college to my first job and then junior manager, senior manager, CEO, president, etc. And then after that, I retire and then do some gardening. But, but it's also women because they take time out to care and then dip back in and then maybe part-time to full-time, back to part-time. I think there's also a more concept, conceptual change in how we view work and a career and a meaningful life, basically. So what would you say would be these key policy changes maybe that would need to happen, uh, perhaps also in the wake of the upcoming US elections, that would enable this kind of flexibility, this kind of um, breaking these rigid uh, norms in society and in work? Well, first of all, the very technology that we have developed to enable greater productivity has also reshaped our ability to structure work more flexibly. 
And so it's actually easier now to, and and you can't do this in every profession, obviously in a healthcare situation, healthcare clinic, you have to have people working all the time, but you can, you can even have flexibility within that if you have job sharing and, and, and ways for people to, 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 uh, help each other out if, if they need to take a day off or whatever. But I think that, you know, the fact that that we have technologies now that allow us to have more family-friendly policies that women and increasingly men as well want, has that in itself is recreating the workplace into one where, first of all, you know, it used to be that brawn was was what 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 gave you your your leg up in work. Well, now it's brains. It's entirely brains. it's it's it is about technologies. It's about working smarter. It's about, it's about applying technology and and being more innovative. That's really what is the that's what gets the reward these days. And 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 when brains are the most valuable commodity, gender is irrelevant. And that too opens up mm. opportunities that weren't previously available to women. So, I mean, part of the answer to your question is that the the system will change in part because we now have the technology to do it. If we if we point that out and if we make sure that we use that technology, which which uh, is is actually taps into leadership skills that are that tend to be viewed as or identified with female leadership, flexibility, um, the ability to juggle a whole bunch of different things at one time, uh, collaboration. You can't innovate without collaborating with other people. It just doesn't happen. So, so I think there are those things that are, that are happening because of technological changes are helping us change policies. But the other things that are a big help are, first of all, I mean, some government policies are simply necessary because companies will resist doing things like providing paid parental leave because they're afraid that it will cost them money and then another company will then be able to um, to compete with them and win. Well, once there is a government policy that says all you know, all, all, all people should have a certain amount of paid parental leave, then that removes the competition element. It, it just, you know, it just, so some policies really have to be government related. But there are other policies that, that are really more um, amenable to an individual company and that can be done as workplace policies. And I think, first of all, women need to speak up and need to get together. I call this sister courage. And you find the other people who who believe as you do, and you you have the courage to put the problems out on the table, and you also present solutions and a strategic plan to get there. We now know that companies that do provide greater flexibility have more loyal and, and satisfied workforce. Well, there you go. You know, I mean, what's the cost of retraining people or, or of, of recruiting people and having to train new people? It's very high. So, so, so that then you you can translate yes. that into a very strong um, push or request for a company to change its internal policy. So, government policy, company policy, and then simply utilizing the technology that we have to enable us to successfully do our jobs while we successfully live our lives. Absolutely. And it was so interesting. We had an Indian guest on our podcast, Akanksha Anand, and she interviewed women CEOs in India. And she said, it's so crucial to have more women on board because a lot of these women CEOs were the first woman on the board that when employees would come to her, female employees would come to her and say, 
I have had sexual advances on me or I have some problems. She couldn't take it to the, uh, to the board to discuss because there were no other women. So she herself felt really uncomfortable taking these women's issues into an all-men boardroom. And I think this is one of, the, one of those initiatives or one of those key levers where we see that government can put pressure and then companies have to also iterate themselves with their own policies, like the clogs in a machine, they need to turn together. Coming maybe to the last uh, before question. So what is next for Take the Lead? What, what are you working on? What are you working towards? What are the new initiatives that, that you're working on? Take the Lead is committed to prepare, develop, inspire, and propel women to take their fair and equal share of leadership positions across all sectors by 2025. And I, I, I make that whole mission statement clear because we believe that you need to have that kind of comprehensive program, and that's what we're doing. In our first year, we did a big public launch. We started to get known. In our second year, we were perfecting and, and, and developing and testing out some of our, our programs. And now in our third year, we are ready to scale up, particularly in the area of training. Uh, the program that I've developed breaks women through those places where they have been stuck, and it does it fairly quickly by changing how we think about power, understanding it, deconstructing it, wanting to uh, to then embrace it on our terms, authentically and with joy. And that enables mm. us to be more intentional about where we want to go and understand what it takes to, to, to actually get where we want to go, not so much what other people might want us to do. So the, the training in this coming year will be scaling up, not just by me, although I love doing it, but also I'm doing, I'm training others, uh, we call them leadership ambassadors, to deliver this core training that deals with women's relationship with power and intentionality and helps them break through that stuck place. So the training mm -hmm. is scaling up. Um, we also are going, we're soon will be announcing a partnership that will enable us to add more mentoring to our program because we think you need the combination of mentoring and training and also role modeling. So we have what we call Take the Lead Presents role model programs. And one example of those is free. And I encourage anyone to just go to our website, taketheleadwomen.com, and check out our virtual happy hours. Every month I interview an, an interesting woman and you learn how she did it, how, you know, what her what her path in life has been. So um, so that's free and open to the public. And then we also have some that are paid events. And then finally, it's about thought leadership to shift our thinking, our whole narrative actually, from a focus on the problem, like, oh my goodness, the pay gap is still so bad, to a focus on the solution so that we're talking about, oh, look, here are some companies that have actually committed to eliminating the pay gap. How did they do it? What did they do? What can you learn from it? So those are four different pillars or keys to leadership parity. And that's what we're doing now, scaling those four initiatives up. Wonderful. And, and, and I can only um, support what you just said, because I, I went through the virtual happy hours and, and the website is, is a fantastic re resource and very interesting, very timely. And I think what you just said at the very end, it really comes across that it's focused on the positive. It's focusing on a let's do this, you know, the, your your sister courage, this sisterhood, this 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 mutual support, and it's very powerful, and and I think it really comes across. 
Thank you. Would you just uh, would you just mind uh, reminding listeners uh, where they can reach you, uh, how they can get in touch, or find out more? Certainly, uh, take the leads. Uh, Twitter handle is at Take Lead Women. Uh, you can find us on any other social media at, at Take the Lead Women. Our website is TakeTheLeadWomen.com. dot uh, My personal Twitter handle is at Gloria Felt. You just have to remember that I have a D in my name, F E L D T, and. Um, we will be delighted. We love to interact with people, and we we also um, have a great newsletter called "Take the Lead This Week." That's a quick read, and you can find that about that on our website as well, so that we can stay in touch with one another and what's the latest in regard to women and leadership. Wonderful. So, Gloria, um, now coming to the last question on our podcast, and that's the same question every time. If I uh, would ask you if you could give one advice to a CEO to make this change in his or her company that we so desperately want and need, what would that one advice be? It's really not that hard, but it starts with you. Mm. You know, I, I, I often find that, that uh, company leaders are wanting to, f I mean, they don't exactly ask it this way, but it comes across as how can I fix the women? And the truth is, <laughs> women don't need to be fixed at all. Women are actually the answer to the question, not the question these days. And it, it really starts with you. It starts with you making a commitment and, um, and, and not just having fine words on the website, but doing very specific, taking very specific steps that are visible, that show the commitment to gender parity. And once that is done, I think the change happens pretty fast. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Gloria. It has been an absolute honor and a pleasure uh, interviewing you for the Work Life Podcast. Thank you, Agnes. It's been a pleasure to be with you.